For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back to the All-American Brit Podcast on the Believe Podcasting Network. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen today. I am your host, Johnny McEwen. The wintertime is an interesting time for the baseball fan anxiously counting down the days until pitchers and catchers are called to their spring training facilities. It's a beginning of the signs of life of a new baseball season. The winter meetings are held where all the GMs get together and decide trades or figure out how to deal with free agents that are on the market still and potential moves to get their team better to hopefully build a winner. And while the season hasn't formally started, Much like a baseball game, there's so much going on that the eyes don't see, which is the period of time we're in now. And I can think of nobody that I'd like to talk more about baseball with than the guest that I have on today's show. Jake Reiner is the host of Meeting on the Mound with Jake Reiner. He is the co-host of The Incline, a Dodgers-specific podcast. Jake and I went to high school together. He's my friend. He's my introduction to baseball. He's Mr. Baseball to me. We get into our beloved Dodgers the trade rumours that are going on, things to look forward to in this MLB season. So I hope you enjoy. Here is my interview with Jake Reiner. Jake Reiner, it is a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate it. Of course, Johnny. Anything for you, my friend. You're a real baseball aficionado. There's no denying it. I would love to know what your early memories of baseball when did you first really fall in love with the game and and what are your early memories of baseball I was thinking about that question because you had sent it to me and you know how like you don't remember your birth like you don't remember anything about it at all I don't remember when I came became a baseball fan so I'm just going to assume excuse me I'm just going to assume that it happened at birth because the only or the earliest memories I have are being a diehard baseball and Dodgers fan that that is all I remember from my from my childhood and to give you an idea of kind of when my fandom really started the the players that I remember when I was like first growing up and very little were the teams with Raul Mondesi, Eric Karros, Todd Hollinsworth, Mike Piazza, Gary Sheffield, Adrian Beltre, and Kevin Brown. Those were that, that was my team growing up. And then, uh, of course, when I you know really started to understand the game, were the years of Sean Green and uh, you know Derek Lowe later on. And um, those are those are really like my formative years. But like the original teams was was certainly Mondesi, Karos, Hollinsworth, Piazza. Those were those are my guys. Would you find would you find that those were the moments that also kind of you recognized fandom, you recognized supporting a team, you understood the idea of rivalries. When did that kind of all form? Well, I don't remember when it happened again, but like it's just 
when you're when you're a diehard baseball fan from birth, things are just ingrained in you. And so mm-hmm. I knew that I had to live to hate the Giants. I knew that they were the ultimate enemy. And my dad actually used to be a Giants fan, which is a crazy notion if you were to think about it today, because I don't think any person of any fan base would ever jump ship to another team. I just, you can't imagine that happening. But my dad, who was a just his, he was more of a fan of Willie Mays than he was of the Giants. Because Willie Mays was his hero. He thought he was the greatest player of all time. And I agree with that sentiment as well. Just in terms of the totality of his talents, I I think Willie Mays is definitely the best player of all time. Mike Trout probably will rival him one day once he finishes his career. But he became a Dodgers fan because they traded away Willie Mays to the Mets. And he was like, I'm done with this team. This team, and, and and he was even a Giants fan when they, you know, when they moved out to L.A. Uh, in the late '50s, and so he became a Dodgers fan. My grandfather had already converted to being a Dodgers fan because of Jackie Robinson, and so when I was growing up, I never liked the Giants and always hated them. But the rest of the NL West, I mean, I think more recently I've started to really hate the Padres because of their fan base. They're just the most annoying fan base. They think that they've won <laughs> more than they have. They've never won a World Series, but right. you wouldn't know that if you asked a, a, a San Diego Padres fan. I know you had Matt Moretz on your show recently, and I, you know, I, I take pity on him, honestly. I, I mean, I feel bad <laughs> for the guy. I really do. I really do. Um, because they haven't won anything and they act like they have. Yeah, me and Matt stuck to golf, and that was probably a. Probably for the why for the best. <laughs> no, uh, he's he's a you know I th- I think that the obvious rivalry is with the with the Giants and that stretches back in as far as decades. But I think that you know you you look forward to certain series, but you're always trying to take out down the guys, especially when they're dealing with them in the same division. And we've had to deal with the contentious Padres for quite a few years now. Yeah, yeah, we have. In um, my previous episode, in the first episode that I talk about baseball, I talked about kind of not discovering the game until I was 16 and I walked into Dodger Stadium for the first time and had a my closest thing I've ever had to a religious experience was seeing Dodger Stadium all full of glory and, and all of that. And I talk about my mate who took me to that first baseball game. You you were that mate. So yes, first I off, was. thank you very much. And then You're do welcome. you remember that 2008 year at all? Do you remember by chance taking me to that game? Do you remember how I took to baseball like a fish to water? I mean, <laughs> do, do you... Did, did any of those bring back any memories for you? Well, I remember bringing you to many games. I don't remember the first game, but um, it's weird. It's weird when you discover baseball, I don't want to say late in life. I mean, but 16 years after you were born is is considerably late to get into to, to really get into a sport, because I feel like with baseball in particular, it is a at birth type of, you know, passion that you develop. But of course, I remember that 2008 team. And I think we can get into, uh, I, I really want to talk to you about MLB The Show, because that was just the most fun, most fun summers I've ever had in my life. But that 2008 team, the, obviously the one person that comes to mind is Manny Ramirez. The fa- the, just in, And you talked about him in your last episode. The, the way he was able to electrify Dodger Stadium, I've never seen a player like him before or since being traded to the Dodgers. Now, the free agents is a different thing, but being traded to the Dodgers, I've never seen Dodger Stadium just erupt. And the thing and the thing about that team was is that we were 
at that time a pretty sleepy team. Like, we weren't that great. It was Clayton Kershaw's rookie season, and he hadn't yet taken form. But Manny Ramirez came over and hit 17 home runs in 53 games. He actually ended up being the number two leader in home runs on the team, and he barely played the majority of the games. In 53 games, do you know who led the team in home runs that year, Johnny? I'm just curious if you know. I think it was, was it James Loney? (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) Loney Loney Loney. would would die and go to heaven if he heard you say that. No, it was... Would it have been Ethier uh, or Kemp? Yes, it was Andre Ethier. Ethier. Andre Ethier led the Dodgers that season with 20 home runs in 141 games. So you think about Manny Ramirez coming over and just tearing the cover off the ball. Now, of course, later on, he, you know, had some PED problems and, you know, it's, it's hard. It's hard to look back on that time fondly because of that. But in the moment, it was fantastic. And it also, I also remember that period because it started my absolute despise and hatred towards the Philadelphia Phillies. From 2008 to 2010, I didn't hate any team more than the, than the Philadelphia Phillies. They were always knocking us out. My, my friends uh, from Syracuse, especially Perry Russum, who's a reporter in Boston now, he will always bring up the Matt Stairs home run <laughs> off of... Jonathan Broxton. Oh, that ball hasn't landed yet. Yeah. I, no one's been <laughs> able to find it. It has not landed yet. And that to me was just the most crushing home run at the time. And this is such an amazing season for a number of reasons. The other thing that I wanted to point out that I remember about the season was after we got Manny Ramirez, we lost eight games in a row from August 22nd to August 29th. And it looked like, oh man, like we're, you know, we're not going to make the playoffs. Then we won eight games in a row and we finished the season going 19 and eight over our last 27 games. And we won the West by winning a total of 84 games, which wouldn't cut it today, but we made the playoffs with that team. And for you to be introduced to Dodgers baseball in that season is, is remarkable. I don't know that you would have had the same passion for the team had you joined in the years prior because we weren't great. And that and this was during the, the Frank McCourt era, which was a really just horrible period of yeah. time Doctors. in Dodgers baseball. So it's it's actually just super fitting that you became a huge Dodgers fan after, you know, during that season. Yeah, I remember that season vividly, and I think there are, like, you have certain memories, and I have this very vivid memory of seeing the TBS logo in the bottom, the LAD and the PHI, yep. Broxton throwing that pitch. Oh, just brutal. <laughs> just brutal. Um, are there other people that you've exposed the game to, and other people that not haven't necessarily taken to it? I know you've probably run into people who have said odd things about baseball, not necessarily understanding it completely, or just not taken to it. It's, it's, you know, it's not everyone's cup of tea, but are there other people that you've exposed it to or, or people that you've run into that have kind of surprised you with their take on baseball? Yes. So like I was saying, like baseball is, is such, is a, is a sport that you, that you just, you can't force somebody to love. It, it's just, it, it's a, it's a very complicated game. It's one of the most complicated sports uh, ever to understand. And I'm not, you know, trying to sound like entitled or whatever, but you really have to 
love every minute of it because there's so much going on when nothing's happening, but it's when there isn't anything going on where you're still engaged and you still love figuring out, okay, in this situation in the bottom of the seventh, you know, who do we got warming up in the bullpen? Uh, who, you know, who's coming up for the other team? You know, uh, you're, you're playing the matchup game in your head. You're trying to, you know, think like the manager a couple steps ahead when there's, you know, even when there's like a different count, 2-1, 3-1, what, what is a pitcher going to throw? It's a hitter's count. Is he going to get a fastball in this situation? So, there's so much going on when 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 you when it seemingly there's nothing it doesn't seem like there anything is anything going on, um, and the, and the one person that I did introduce the game to um, was my girlfriend Margaret, who I've been with her four years, and she actually has become a Dodgers fan. But the difference between you and her is that she is not you know she did not become obsessed with it like I am, and I you know, whatever, fine. You know, that's, you know, whatever you want to do that that's, that's up to you. But it just shows you that like, there are different levels of interest in the game and you can't teach someone to be like that. And I used to think like when I was, when I was in kindergarten, like I used to think, you know, how does anybody not love this game as much <laughs> as I do? And, and, and I got it in my head. I was like, what, whoever my girlfriend is, because I was thinking about that in kindergarten, first and second grade. I was like, whoever my girl is, if she's not interested in the Dodgers and Seinfeld, that's it. She's out, you know. And fortunately for me, I grew up and I understood that, like, it's OK, you know, <laughs> it's OK. Um, but what's been great, though, is that, you know, for someone like Margaret, who supported me in my in my fandom, um, she has become, you know, she's learned about the team and she's, you know, learned about the, the other players on other teams because she knows that I'm interested in it and I'm very appreciative of that. But with you, it was like, I showed you Dodgers baseball. I showed you MLB the show. And I told you, I was like, this is how I learned the game. I learned the game by playing Ken Griffey Jr. Slugfest on N64 and I, that's how I learned all the players. And I right. told you, I was like, this is how you're going to learn. You're going to play with a ton of different teams where we did a ton of different, like weird tournaments and you learn the players like that. And that's how, and that's how I learned the game. MLB The Show is really like actually not just a video game for enjoyment of playing a video game and like having the escapism of you know, being able to take control of a major sports organization and, you know, view it and create a fantasy team and draft people and whatever else. It is it is a genuine learning tool on not only players' names, where they're from, how old they are and what position and team they play for. The, the designs of the game, and it's only gotten better over time, you know their physicalities, you know what they're actually good at, you know how, you know, if they're better on their left or their right, if they're a switch hitter, you know if they're how, how they should play in the outfield. It is like such a crazy fabulous tool that i still use i mean it's still it's it's it is kind of a huge part of what taught me the game oh yeah and 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 continue too because there are new players and new you know every single year so you you get the new version of it and you learn you know all the different you know hot prospects that are coming up you know you get to create your own player so you feel like you're you know going up to the major leagues and so yeah it, that that interestingly enough i mean my you know my dad you know, taught me about the game, but I, I really like, there was a, there was a point at which he was like, man, you know, like 
all the players. Like, you know, I don't even know all the players. I was like, yeah, well, I play a lot of Ken Griffey Jr. Slugfest. And I, and, and, it, and it's, you know, back, you know, obviously, you know, today in MLB The Show, you get, you can get live roster updates. Well, you, you didn't have that back then. So I was creating the new players that joined. Like I created Paul LaDuca. Like Paul LaDuca was not in that game, but I was like, God damn it. I'm going to create him and put him on the Dodgers. And that's what I did. I think I'm going to have to cut that piece out. I created Paul LaDuca and I'm going <laughs> to hold you to that. <laughs> yes, you definitely should. What has it felt like for you to finally feel your team being World Series champions? I'd always dreamed of what it would feel like, and each year the Dodgers would get so close. I mean, it was like each year they would get just a little bit closer. And the devastation of 2017, I don't think that sting will ever go away for me. Yeah. Um, that was obviously the closest that we had come up until that point to winning the World Series, and we fell short, and it w- and it hurt. It really hurt at the time. And I was living in Houston at the time. So I was able to see, like, okay, because Houston had just gone through Hurricane Harvey, and that World Series win was was everything for that city. So I was able to be like, you know what? Wasn't our year, wasn't our time. To find out what actually happened and find out the extent to which the Astros went to cheat in that World Series. Yeah. I'll never forget that. Ever. Someone I I post I, I tweeted about it the other day and someone said, you know, oh get over it. It's like, no, we're not gonna get over it. That uh, think about it, Johnny. Like Clayton Kershaw, thank God the Dodgers had another opportunity to win a World Series because it could have very well been that in 2017 and 2018, that was going to be it for Kershaw. And his legacy would have been, oh, he's not a good postseason pitcher, which I, I completely disagree with if you really look at the numbers. Um, but I, you know, I won't get into that. But if you really look at the numbers, he's actually a much better pitcher in the postseason than people give him credit for. But that could have been it. But if you look at like someone like Andre Ethier, Spent his whole career with the Dodgers. He, you know, was traded for Milton Bradley, of all people, from the Oakland A's. And he played his whole career with the Dodgers. A fan favorite. His only shot was 2017. Yeah. He never got another opportunity after that. He retired. So, for players like that, I'm very disappointed. That's why it will always sting for me. But to win in 2020, given all the circumstances, and I think that... You know, a lot of people, you know, if you're not a Dodgers fan, you you may look at it and say, well, it was, you know, BS and and it's not a real trophy and, and whatever, whatever. Those people are going to think what they're going to think anyway, but I don't really care about that. If you look at what they did to get to that point, the 60 game season, the fact that they started spring training, stopped spring training, then started back up again. They had this weird interest squad thing, then 60 games. OK, they were the best team in baseball. They make it to the playoffs. Oh, and by the way, they've got to go through the Milwaukee Brewers who were under 500. They got to play them in a three-game series. Are you kidding me? Mm. The, the, the number one team in the National League could get knocked out of the playoffs in three games? So they overcome that. 
Then they then they have to go to a neutral site in Texas. And they were there for the rest of the playoffs. They had to beat the Padres, which they shouldn't have faced in the divisional round in a normal year. They were the second best team in in the in the National League. They go through them. Then they play the Braves, who were an amazing team. They get down 3-1. They come all the way back and win the NLCS, proving that like this team is just a, a, a team unlike no other. Then they go to the World Series, and they play the best team in the American League. You don't need 162 games to, to, to figure that out. Those two were the best teams in baseball. Yeah. And they faced off in the World Series. And even still, they faced adversity. That Game 4 debacle with Kenley Jansen and Chris Taylor booting it. And Randy Arozarena stumbling. And Will Smith not being able to catch the, the bad throw from Muncie. And they score and they win the game. They come back from that. And they win. You know? Blake Snell. The guy was dealing. They knock him out. I mean... Just think about all the different things, plus COVID mm. and, and, and being in a COVID bubble mm. and, and you know, having to be away from their families. So, I mean, you look at all of that, Johnny, and that to me just, you know, when you look at it from a, you know, a whole picture perspective, it's, it's you know, as valuable as any World Series before that, any World Series title, I think. Absolutely. And and you're talking about a team that's had to deal with the constant media attention of being a really successful team over the last decade that's dealing with a 30-year drought. We're talking about yeah. a great baseball team, a team that that is always in the postseason conversation, it seems, to you know an outsider perspective. Oh, oh, the Dodgers are always in it. Oh, the Dodgers are probably... Always... But yeah, but they're dealing with the fact that they've not won one in 30 years. I mean, and yeah. now they've they finally done it. And I've thought yeah. so long, I've wondered so long, especially after the Astros win and then, you know, losing to the Red Sox as well. And I remember asking a Red Sox fan, like, like almost like pining, like, what does it feel like? I just wanted to know what that, what that energy was. What it, you know, like, like I was, I'd always imagine like, oh, the pride of just being like, oh, we did it. And, and in a way it was just a huge relief. It and was. now it's kind of the intolerable sports fan in, in, in you that just goes, oh yeah, but there's next season. We got to get cracking. You right, know? Exactly. And that's, and that's the, and that was the biggest thing that surprised me the most was how much I'm looking forward to the next season. I want to do it again. And I want to do it again under different circumstances yep. as well. But I, I think that that's, that's the thing that I didn't realize I would feel so much is, is it's not just like, oh, we won, you know, we can just sit back and it doesn't matter. No, I want to keep, I want to keep this going. I want to be, yeah. you know, I want to be a, a dynasty team. And I think that we have the power to do it. And so I ask you, what do you think? with now the pressure of having won a World Series, having won in our back pocket, essentially. What do you think of the 2021 roster? Do you think that we need to move or shift anything? And then do this do this Dodgers team have, have a chance to repeat? Oh, definitely. They have a guy on the Dodgers, not, not you know, kind of under the radar. Not many people know him. His name is Mookie Betts, okay? He is... <laughs> <laughs> have you heard of him? I think so, yeah, yeah. He came from yeah. Boston? Yeah, yeah, that guy. Yeah. Mookie. We have him for the next 12 seasons or so, or the rest of his career, whatever comes first, right, right? right? As long as we have him on the team, I think that the Dodgers are primed to become a dynasty. Whether or not that happens, you know, we'll have to see it. You know, you have to play it out on the field. But the way that they're set up, the way that Andrew Friedman has constructed this roster, not just the 
um, 25 man roster or 26 man roster, but the farm system, the 40 man roster, this team is stacked. And if you think about all the opportunities that Andrew Friedman has had to dish away his top prospects, Dustin May, Gavin Lux, Tony Gonsolin, every single time there's a trade rumor, those guys are brought up. And every single time he says, nope, you can't have them. He has waited and waited and waited and built up these guys to because those guys are going to have to take over for the Clayton Kershaws and the Justin Turners and the Kenley Jansons who are, you know, at or near the end of their careers. And so the Dodgers are primed to make another run. 2021, the roster looks great. They, the Dodgers are World Series favorites again. I don't care what the San Diego Padres did, and we can get into that a little bit. But the, the way the Dodgers roster is constructed, it is primed to make another deep run in the postseason. The Dodgers signed, you know, Blake Trinan, which he was a huge part of their bullpen and a huge high leverage guy that they got back. And I was so happy that they got him and they got him for, you know, pretty cheap, you know, two year contract with an option for a third, you know, not that much money. And Friedman's added added a couple of these guys that you're like, "Mm, I don't know. He brought back Brandon Morrow from the 2017 season. He brought over Corey Knable. He brought in Tommy Canely, who's not going to pitch this season, but he'll pitch in 2022. Every time that Friedman makes a move and you question it as like, hmm, never heard of this guy. Who is this guy? Or, "Mm, I don't know. That guy's injury prone. I don't know about him. Every time you think that, that guy becomes a superstar. Just Mm. watch, you know, Mm. because remember Chris Taylor? Now he's a household name. Remember Max Muncy? Now he's a household name. When they first got him, I was guilty of it. I said, who, what, who are these? What what is this? And now look, they became a huge part of the 2020 World Series team and they became staples in the, on that roster. It's like that moment in Major League looking at the roster. Who are the hell are these guys? <laughs> <laughs> and and to his credit, I mean, I think Max Muncy's uh, one of the best stories of baseball at the minute. I think it's just a meteoric rise and fat, uh, really fat. I'm just like so happy. Somehow. Yeah. Speaking, you know, you, you you kind of mentioned the Padres and a huge part of the World Series, that, that final game was the moment when Blake Snell <coughs> was taken off the mound. Everyone questioned it. So Dodgers fans get ready to see a lot more of Blake Snell with him now in joining the Padres and uh, going to be in the NL West. What did you think of the Blake Snell move and how do you think the Padres are shaping up in this upcoming season? I've, uh, this is what I think about the Padres moves. They're good moves. And guess what? They had to make those moves. They had to. The Dodgers have been running away with the NL West for the past eight seasons. There is no other team in the NL West that's even close to challenging the Dodgers. The Giants, please. The Diamondbacks, please. You know, the Rockies, come on, right? The the Padres have a great roster, and they are going to be a good team. I have no doubt about that in my mind. But I have a feeling that A.J. Preller, the, the Padres' GM, was sitting there watching the World Series, watching Blake Snell carve up the Dodgers. He was like, gotta have that guy. That guy, yeah. <laughs> have yeah. to have that guy. Same with you, Darvish, too. You, Darvish, won the, the NL Cy Young. Had to have to have that guy. Because the way he's looking at his starting rotation, he's got a lot of question marks. You know, Clevenger, who's going to be out for this whole season, which it was questionable that they even... You know, made him pitch in the postseason, but he was a disaster. 
Danielson Lamette, who's another great, you know, uh, starter for them. He's injury prone as well. They got rid of Zach Davies because, you know, they that, that's how they got you Darvish. So he's gone. So they needed to fill out that rotation. They got two really good pitchers, but also two pitchers that have huge injury question marks. And, and in terms of consistency, just not there. I mean, they're good pitchers, but we're going to have to see how they perform. Um, when uh, you Darvish uh, went over to the Cubs for this first season, he was hurt and he was terrible. And, and last year he, you know, really turned it around. He, you know, I, I looked up, I looked this up. He increased his cutter by 44% and decreased the use of his very hittable fastball. And nearly one in six hitters swung and missed at his cutter. So he's ramped that up, and he's got that pitch that he can he can turn to at any time. Blake Snell has an issue with giving up home run balls. That's that's going to be, you know, that, that may not affect him as much in Petco Park as it's being, you know, it's a pitcher's park or whatever. But, you know, he had a decent, a decent season last year. He was 4-2, 3.24 ERA. In 11 starts. But the big problem is he gave up 10 homers. That's almost a home run per start. Like, that's not good. Um, he was good in the postseason. Um, but, you know, I, I think the thing about Padres fans that, like, they just need to chill out for a second is because every time they go for broke and they go big, it doesn't seem to work out. So my, you know, my, you know, uh, opinion looking at it, you just got to wait and see. You, World Series aren't one on paper. So they got to go out there and win one. And they got to unseat the Dodgers as soon. that That's the only time I'll give them credit. If they're able to knock the Dodgers out and, and move past them in the NL West, I'll give them credit for it. But until that time, they're gonna, they have the burden of proof. This is relatively breaking news. What did you make of Lindor to the Mets? <clears throat> I think the Mets are going to be good, man. I mean, they've got a really good roster. That is a really, really good move. Um... And I, I didn't really see that coming. Um, I knew that Lindor was on the trade block, but he's been on the trade block for a long time. And the Dodgers, uh, it was reported that the Dodgers were um, in on in on him too till the very last minute. Um, but I but I have a feeling that the Indians were asking too much. Now, what the Indians eventually did get back from uh, the Mets was nowhere near what the Dodgers could have provided, even if the Dodgers didn't offer their top prospects. So I'm a little confused as to what that was, but the Dodgers didn't really need Lindor anyway. They have Corey Seager. Um, you, you know, I think, you know, world series MVP, I'll take that Lindor to the Mets is it's going to be, it, it could be a game changer in the, in the NL East. Um, I think the Mets are trying to, to challenge the Braves. The Braves have, you know, put together a really nice roster the past few seasons. Uh, the Nationals look pretty good. Uh, the Marlins looked, oh, you know, pretty decent last year, too. So the Mets needed to do something to put them back in the playoff uh, picture. So getting Lindor, a generational talent, an amazing shortstop, that is a, you know, what they had to do. Um, they also get Carlos Carrasco, who is a decent pitcher in return. And then the other guys that they're, you know, looking at, George Springer, Trevor Bauer, those are the names that that have been floated around, uh, connected with the New York Mets. This new owner, Steve Cohen, I mean, he's come in and said, you know what, you know, I have money, I'm going to spend it. And, you know, I want to, you know, reassure the fan base that we're here to win one. And I think the Mets are the Mets are going to be, if they're healthy, they're going to be scary, especially if they have Trevor Bauer. Because if they have Bauer, DeGrom, Marcus Stroman, if he's healthy, um, 
and, and Noah Syndergaard, if he's healthy, I mean, that's a scary rotation. The only thing that's suspect really is their bullpen. Um, don't really know what's going on there, but um, they're, they're going to be a team to watch for sure. Trevor Bauer ends up and where do you think Springer ends up? <laughs> um, I think Springer is going to end up on the Mets. Um, I think that it's someone that, that Steve Cohen really likes. Um, I can't I can't remember if it was him or Sandy Alderson. One of them likes Springer over Bauer. So I think, I think he's going to end up with the Mets. I don't think the Mets are going... The Mets have the money to get both Bauer and Springer. But I don't think that they're going to do both um, because that that is a lot of money to commit to them. And if you and if you're looking at what they're asking for, uh, Springer is asking for five years, 175 million. Bauer is asking for six years, 200 million, which is 33 million dollars a year. That's like Garrett Cole type of money. I don't think he's worth it. Mm. But I think the team that he's going to end up with, if I had to put my money on it, is the Angels. I think that the Angels for the longest time, have not had any good starting pitching. I mean, they really have never had an ace. I mean, Jared Weaver, okay, you know, John Lackey at one point, okay, fine. But they've never had great starting pitching, and they they need that. I mean, plain and simple, they need a good starting pitcher. They need an ace. And if they get Trevor Bauer, just won the NL Cy Young, he'll fit perfectly. Also, personality-wise, I think he'll fit pretty well in, in, or in, you know, in orange County, uh, with the angels. Um, the, the Dodgers are, you know, all always rumored with all of these guys, not Springer so much, but Trevor Bauer for sure. Um, I, but I, but if, but if I had to put my money on it, I would say he's going to the angels. Obviously you're going to be watching Dodgers games in 2021, but are there other teams that excite you when you if you kind of just put on your MLB hat and take a look at a scope of the, you know, the wider scope of baseball, what teams are exciting you or interesting you, uh, you know, in, in recent history and, and looking ahead. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, like we talked about, the Mets are definitely a team that I'm, you know, excited to see what, what they do. Um, and, and I, and I hope that they, that they become, you know, a good competition because we need more competition. I mean, it just, you know, it, it's great to be the Dodgers and, 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 you know, kind of be at the top every year, but, um, there are a lot of teams that just aren't on that level. And so uh, the Mets are someone that I'm looking at. The Nationals are someone that I'm looking at. They they recently got Josh Bell from the Pirates in a pretty like just head scratching move from Pittsburgh's point of view. But they got him and he's a great power hitting switch hitting first baseman. He's he's going to add a lot of pop. And uh, just today they signed Kyle Schwarber to a one year deal. So they're they're looking good. I mean, if you and if you look at their starting rotation with Strasburg and Scherzer, I mean, those guys are coming back. Corbin, I mean, it's just going to be a matter of health with the Nationals, and I think uh, they're they're going to be uh, a, a team to really look out for. And then, kind of my sleeper team is the White Sox. Um, I think the White Sox have a great young core with Luis Robert and Jose Abreu and Yon Moncada and. Um, 
and you know a bunch of other players that I can't think of right now. But um, they added Lance Lynn, who's a decent starter, and they added Adam Eaton uh, as well. And it remains to be seen if they're done. I've heard their name kind of their their team swirling around Jack Peterson, maybe that. But I don't know. Since they got Eaton, I don't think that they're gonna move on him, uh, move away from him. Um, and then I know you you know you love this team, the Blue Jays. Uh, I think the Blue Jays are someone to look out for. I mean, certainly you've got a terrific young core with Kevin Biggio and Vladdy Jr. and uh, Bo Bichette, um, all the sons of former, you know, major leaguers, former, you know, Hall of Famers. Um, they're a great team to watch. But the but the the Blue Jays, who have been rumored in every single trade rumor and free agent rumor out there. They're desperate to, to to build a winner, you know. So they're you know they're going to be in on Springer. They're going to be in on Justin Turner. They're going to be in on um, Trevor Bauer. I mean, they're they're trying to get they're trying to build that team, and they're a couple of moves away from being competitive. I don't know if they're going to make the playoffs, but they're a team on the rise. I feel so interesting looking at the AL East and thinking, oh, the teams I'm most interested in watching are the Blue Jays and the Rays. And if yeah. you say if you'd say that to yourself five years ago, you'd be like, "Really? You know, no, yeah, no." The the Yankees and the Red Sox have got to do lots to kind of keep up in that division, and you never thought that would be the case. I Especially the Red Sox. Yeah, particularly I mean, the Red Sox. The fall I mean, from grace with the Red Sox is just oof. That is rough. I mean, you know, they they traded away Mookie Betts for essentially nothing. I mean, Alex Verdugo's good, but he's no Mookie Betts. Mm. Yeah, they, they kind of had buyer's remorse during the trade. <laughs> I, lo- I loved following baseball news during that because it's like, no, 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 we're gonna we're gonna do this. No, you worry, yeah. no, 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 we're gonna we're gonna get this one done. Uh, if you had to rank the top five players in baseball right now, who would they be? Well. And I know that you probably have your own list, but I would be surprised if these two guys weren't on your list because I think it's Mike Trout and Mookie Betts, and then there's a large gap uh, between mm, the next guys. That's a really good point. Um, the, the, those guys are by far and away the best overall players in baseball in terms of power, speed, defense. I mean, they've got every tool imaginable. And they light it up every single year. And I think that Mookie Betts was the reason that the Dodgers won. Well, not the reason, but he was a huge reason why they won the 2020 World Series. He pushed them over the edge. They, you know, for the longest time, they had Jock Peterson leading off. I mean, no disrespect to Jock Peterson. I think he's a really good player. But the dude is slow as molasses. And you don't want that kind of, you know, lack of speed at the top of your order. So he was huge. Um, the thing about Mike Trout though, and the thing, and the reason why I think the angels are, are really are desperate to get someone like Trevor Bauer is because that dude's been to the playoffs one time in his whole career. I mean, that's a travesty that you have the best, arguably the, what could be the best player of all time, you know, basically wasting away in Anaheim and, you know, with the angels and you could say, oh, he's making, you know, million, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. And, you know, why, why are we feeling bad for him? Because that's what the pro- that's a huge problem with Major League Baseball right now is getting you know younger fans getting anybody to watch this sport and that's why they're trying to shorten games and change all these rules. I don't think any of that's going to matter. But the but but what is going to matter is to get someone like Mike Trout 
in the spotlight, in the national spotlight, on the big stage so that everybody can see how amazing this guy is. I mean, when you look at Mike Trout and Mookie Betts, I was looking up on Baseball Reference, and if you're into wins above replacement, which is sort of like kind of the, not the be-all, end-all stat, but it's one of the stats that can kind of tell you the 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 value of a player. You know, it's it's basically how many wins will this guy get you over the a replacement level player, you know? And if you look at the stats, Mike Trout and Mookie Betts are in the top 10 in war pretty much their entire careers. I mean, every single year, they are the most valuable players in baseball. So those two are for sure on my list. Now, the next three guys, um, one of them you may say I'm a little biased for, which is Cody Ballinger. But I just think in terms of overall tools, again, you know, he's got, you know, speed, power, Um, He strikes out a little bit too much, but he is a great defensive center fielder. I mean, that home run that he robbed off Tatis in the NLDS was just insane. I mean, a a series changing home, you know, uh, defensive play. Um, I think that in order for Cody Bellinger to really um, be make it on everyone else's top five, he's going to have to put some consistency together. He kind of dropped off a little bit this past season in 2020 um, after his MVP season in 2019, and he had a and he had a down year after his after he won Rookie of the Year in 2017 in 2018. So for him, he's going to have to string together like a couple of really excellent seasons for him to enter the conversation. But I put him on my list because I I know what his value is. Um, the next two guys, Freddie Freeman, dude just won the MVP um, in the National League. He is pretty underrated. I feel, I, you know, again, a lot of people that you know don't follow baseball that closely may not even know who he is. Um, but he's a guy that is a just a terrific hitter. I mean, just a and and the way you know he was. You, you think about the way I the way I value a player is. You know, and these are the intangibles, right? If he's coming up to the plate, how do you feel as an opposing fan? Do you feel comfortable? Right. Or do you feel like you're about to, you know, uh, go to the bathroom in your pants? Like, <laughs> that is what I, every time he came to the plate, I was like, oh God, you know, oh God, what's he going to do? And more times than not, he really hurt you. And it didn't matter if you were left-handed or right-handed, he could mash you. So I put him in there because he is one of the most feared hitters in the National League and the majors. And finally, um, I'm going with Jacob deGrom because I wanted to put a pitcher on here. And I think that over the whole of his career, uh, he's just been the most dominant pitcher out there. I mean, he is just, every single time he takes the mound when he's healthy, the dude throws over 100 miles an hour. He's nasty. And he is just, I mean, when you when you stack him up against the other pitchers, he's just so dominant. And he also is in the top 10 in war most seasons. Um, so those those are my top five. Um, and I assume you'll have Trout and Betts on your on your list, but I'm curious to know what you think about, you know, the rest of that list. We are identical one, two, three. Identical. Oh, Bell, you put Bellinger on there? Good. I, I think Bellinger's on more people's list than you're giving him credit for in, in some of what you said. I think that Bellinger's a complete player. I think that he's a truly a, a immaculate young player. I think that people, he's got that fear factor. It's the same with how you talked about Freddie Freeman. I think when Bellinger comes up, people go, oh no, what's this guy going to do? Yeah. Um, the only difference is I, I have at four, I have Alex Bregman. And I think Alex Bregman is a really unique baseball player, but also a fear factor guy, really dominant. 
and then my fifth and a picture is before before you so, get yeah, to sorry. your fifth i just have a question i mean you know how much do you like weigh the you know trash can banging in that you know conver- it, it's hard it's hard to, for me it's hard to evaluate those houston players because i understand of that. i understand completely and i think that uh you know you you kind of have to take you, you you have to look at them through a different lens now without doubt but when i think of that whole team during that series and when i think of them coming through this i think bregman still displays himself as an elite player i i do too and uh, and that's why it's a shame that they that that, that that had to happen because those are really good players and i think that the astros had enough talent to get to the world series without that crap so it, it just sucks but you know th- it's their fault so and while he didn't necessarily show up as as much as they want him to in the Bronx, I think that Garrett Cole is a absolutely dominant pitcher and, and deserves a, a great deal of credit in, in you know in, in what he's capable of doing. I don't think that yeah. he's necessarily shown it in this last year, but I think that he, you know he he cracks into my top five. I get sentimental when I do this when I think of lists of, of guys, and I sometimes my perspective on players is based on. Not necessarily exactly where I think that you've done a really good job of articulating the the, the five guys right this very second who can yeah. be considered in the top five. I you know I I would think to put uh, Scherzer in there sometimes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I would think to even put Aaron Judge in there, not necessarily based on results, but based on a abil- potential ability. Yeah. Um, Verlander's always you know you you have to consider him you know he's he's done a lot in his career. Um, but I think, I mean, for guys like Verlander and Kershaw, I mean, you know, I, if, if, if we were in 2014, Kershaw, I mean, Kershaw, Kershaw, yeah, Kershaw, you know, Kershaw makes my top three. Yeah. Yeah. You've got quite a few things going on in your life. Tell us about what's going on. Tell us about the incline. Tell us about meeting on the mound. Tell us about Jake Reiner. Of course, of course. Um, so, uh, the Incline is a Dodgers podcast that I co-host with Kevin Klein and David Rosenthal, two uh, rabid Dodgers fans. I, I I sound biased when I say this, but I truly believe it is the best Dodgers podcast out there. Um, we get right to the points. There's no, um, you know, like useless banter uh that some of the podcasts have where they'll tell some inside jokes that that we're not all privy to and they just take a while to get to the actual issues and the actual news that it's happening and so i think we do a really nice job of being prepared and getting right to the issues and and if you you know are interested in more dodgers uh coverage please you know follow us uh, at the incline uh pod on twitter and also you know look for us wherever you get your podcasts the one, uh, the other podcast that I co-host is, that I host is, um, is called Meeting on the Mound. And it's something that I've been working on for a long time. Baseball is a passion of mine. And I wanted to make a podcast that was truly about the appreciation of the game. And I wanted to bring on unique and interesting perspectives from people that you may not think, you know, you don't automatically think baseball when you think of these people, but they're diehard fans. And I, and I want to get to the central point and the, and the central question of 
why do you love this game so much? You know, with all the heartache and all of the stuff that you go through during a full one 162 and through the playoffs with, with your team, whether they're, you know, at the top of their game or they're at the basement trying to fight their way to the playoffs, like what keeps people coming back? And I've had a really, really great lineup of guests so far. Um, my dad and my grandfather were the first um, and it was so fitting because they were the two people that passed the game down to me. They were the first episode, but I've had Billy Crystal on. I've had uh, recently Chris Hayes from MSNBC. Um, and we have a lot more guests planned um, upcoming. Um, we're going to do a, a, a Tommy Losorda episode coming up. And I think it's, you know, it's so important to recognize not only his contributions to baseball, but his contributions to the Dodgers. I mean, he was... Mr. Dodger uh, through and through this guy was, you know, you, you, you that's all he talked about. And all, he lived and breathed and he bled Dodger blue. Uh, and so I don't, I think we, we, we doing a disservice to everybody uh, doing a baseball podcast without having an episode dedicated to him. And then the other one that I have that I'm really proud of is the, the one about the, uh, the 100th anniversary of the founding of the Negro Leagues, which we had uh, Bob Kendrick, the president of the uh, Negro Leagues Baseball Museum in Kansas City, Missouri, on, and him talk about how uh, the Negro Leagues basically uh, were like a so much more of a major part of the history of baseball than people realize and the history of the United States. So that's that's an episode I'm also really proud of as well. And uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much what's going on in my life, Johnny. Well, I'm a fan of the incline. I'm a huge fan of meeting on the mound, and I'm a huge fan of Jake Reiner. And I want to thank you so much for coming on the show, mate. Really I'm a huge it. fan of yours, Johnny. <laughs> I appreciate. I love it, you, Jake. pal. Love you too, my guy. I'll speak to you soon. All right. Thank you. Another huge thank you to Jake Reiner for joining the show. Please be sure to check out Meeting on the Mound and The Incline. And continue listening here, the All-American Brit Podcast on Believe Podcasting Network. You can follow me at Pod on Instagram and Twitter. As always, I am your host, Johnny McEwen. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. And until next time, take care. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.